I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Hey listeners, Emily here. I couldn't make it when Esme and Anne got to interview two of the executive producers of the Babysitter's Club on Netflix, Naya Susakov and Lucy Katata. We think they are amazing, but they wanted us to note that Lucy was on maternity leave with a very tiny baby in her arms and Naya was 39 weeks pregnant. I'm impressed they formed any sentences at all, honestly. Congrats to Naya on the birth of her baby girl. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today, we are so excited to have two of the executive producers from the Babysitter's Club on Netflix, Lucy Katata and Naya Susikoff. Naya is Executive Vice President for Development and Production at Walden Media. She was the executive producer of A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, which premiered on Netflix last year based on the book series by Joe Ballerini, and the upcoming Finch starring Tom Hanks and directed by Miguel Sapochnik produced by Walden and Amblin and releasing on Apple November 5th. Lucy is executive vice president at Picture Start, an an independent feature and television production company. She was the executive producer of Unpregnant on HBO Max, which is a road trip abortion movie. She's also the producer of M.I.O.K., an independent film starring Dakota Johnson and Soyana Mizuno, directed by Tig Notaro and Stephanie Allen. You guys are very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Gotta say that. (laughs) <laughs> so welcome Lucy and Naya to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing Thank well. you so much for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to be here. We're super excited to talk to you both. Esme is probably going to cry at some point. Oh, the podcast, yeah, they mock me a lot. So I cry a lot on the show. I'm super excited. We, we binged both seasons the day they came out. We were very nervous before season one and then like over the moon happy with what you all did. So um, we're super just super excited to get into it and talk to you about the whole, the whole nine yards, the whole, whole shebang. I'm just using cliche words and help us out here. <laughs> Thank you so much, first of all, for having us on. And secondly, for being such fans of the show, it's really meaningful. We, we set out to reach people like us uh, as well as the kids. So we really, really appreciate the coverage. Yeah. Well, it's very obvious from watching the show. And I think we've, we've said this on our show before um, but I think, you know, not to not to be too harsh to the uh, HBO show of 1990, but it was very obvious to even to me and Anne, you know, we ordered the VHS tapes of it from the backs of the books when they first came out. Neither of us had HBO. We got the VHSs in the mail and we were probably a little bit too old. We were 12, 13 at that point, <laughs> but we were really excited to see what they were like. And then even as, you know, not super discerning 12-year-olds, we were like, this isn't the Babysitter's Club. What's going on? It just, it was clear that it was made by adults that heard that it was important to kids and not made by the people to whom it was important. Um, and that is what comes through a million percent in your show is that you guys get it, um, which is, you know, a really nice thing to see. It's so funny. I have a whole shelf full of those VHSs right to my left, which obviously we're on a podcast, so you can't see them, but yeah, <laughs> um, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, that show brought us a really wonderful, um, 
theme song that we had Kate mm-hmm. Nash redo this yes. season. But, you know, going back and watching them, I they, they don't stand up quite to the same way. Although the girls are all really lovely and yeah, and it wasn't their fault. Women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't I don't blame them at all. But probably okay, blame the executive well, producers. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay, you guys, we should probably back up first and tell you about the members of the podcast. So I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Lucy Katata, an executive producer of the Babysitter's Club on Netflix. I grew up in Paris, and I love to bake. I'm Naya Susikoff, ex- executive producer on the Babysitter's Club. I'm a fashion junkie with a type A streak. Oh, Ooh, that's a good one. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinsonybrook at gmail.com. Also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Fantastic. So we already talked a little bit about how we love the show, obviously, like a lot. Um, and we've really enjoyed watching it. I think we all come at it from a slightly different place. I've also watched it. I have two daughters who are 11 and 13. So I watched it with them. They love the show. Their friends love the show. Um, it's fantastic. Um, but bringing it a little bit farther back, first things first, we have a lot of librarians and teachers who listen to our show, school counselors, uh, other therapists like me, basically an army of Mary Ann's who are our listening audience. And so for those of us not in the industry know, can you tell us a little bit about what an executive producer does and a little bit more about your specific roles on the show? So I can jump in for a little bit. Um, an executive producer is essentially, we are the people that are overseeing the show. And in some cases like this one, we're the ones who are going out there and getting the rights. So what that means is Lucy and I, uh, Lucy brought me the show and told me that the Babysitter's Club was coming up available. She'd been tracking it for forever. And she asked, would this be something you'd be interested in? And I was like, I have been obsessed with the Babysitter's Club since I was seven years old and got Christine Snobs as my first book. So yes, we're in. Uh, we then jumped in a car, jumped on a plane, then jumped on a car in a car and we drove out to an undisclosed location to meet Anne M. Martin. And Naya and... did me drive the whole way, which was surprising. <laughs> so a bad driver. I'm an even worse driver. So, I mean, I, I think it was probably the best, best for everyone. But we somehow convinced Anne that we were the right people to do this show. And between our two companies, we went out and found the incredible Rachel Shuker and Lucia and Yellow. And together, the four of us, a Claudia, a Stacy. Um, a Mary Ann slash Mallory and a Christy went out and we sold the show. So that's kind of the initial step. And then after that, being an executive producer is everything from just making sure there are no problems on set to, you know, dealing with your network to seeing things through delivery. So the little like having a baby or babysitting is probably the best way to put it. Nice. So question. So was the show already kind of in development or like had it been being shopped around to different places? Uh, like Lucy, you said that Lucy kind of, you were approached with it? No. So I had been tracking the rights for a very long time mm. and the they had been under option and uh, and no one had really done anything with them because 
you know, time and again, when you bring up stories about young girls specifically, uh, but women in general, especially in sort of a pre-Me Too Hollywood, um, Naya and I were both often told that there was just no audience for that and that people didn't care about what 12-year-old girls had to say or would mm-hmm. watch them. Um, and I knew that that was wrong. I knew that that was deeply wrong, that there was an entire generation of women who'd grown up on these books that would really care about them the same way that that I did. And I, we were very lucky that Scholastic decided to re-release the books as graphic novels because that gave the characters a new lease on life and introduction to the um, a whole new generation of kids. And so in that way, we were able to double tap with both audience segments. We were very lucky. Yeah, because you have to remember the last time anyone had seen the Babysitter's Club on screen was in the 90s with the movie that Paramount released. So for us, it was really a blessing to have those books and the graphic novels to be able to kind of show people like, look, there's an audience for this. These books, these graphic novels have been on the New York Times bestseller list for months and months and months. In fact, they created a whole new segment of the New York Times bestseller list for their graphic novels. So Mm -hmm. um, that was super helpful in getting the book set up and sold. Uh, yeah, we have we have a little bit of beef with uh, Melanie Mayron on this uh, show because there's uh, publicly she stated several times that she didn't read any of the books and she didn't want to read any of the books before directing the movie, which just seems won't ask you guys to comment on, but seems really horrific I've never to us. heard that. That's yeah, that is crazy. Well, I mean, yeah. everyone involved in this show, the Netflix version has been a Babysitter's Club fan since childhood. Lucia oh, calls it, yeah, yeah. Lucia calls it her Star Wars. So, totally. Oh, that's really helpful. So, as producers in general, like, what kind of stories do you want to tell, and what what stories make you gravitate towards taking on projects? Well, I think for I, I think Lucy and I are probably going to have somewhat similar answers, but just to kick it off, you know, for me, I really look for inspirational stories that also have strong female protagonists. Um, it's just so important right now and growing, you know, a baby girl inside of me and Lucy's got a newborn baby girl as well. Just the thought that we can be helpful and putting something out into the world that will hopefully make it a better place for our kids and the kids that are out there right now. Those are things that I really respond to. Um, and at the same time, I like to kind of think there's a little bit of like a, bipolar energy in terms of the things that I actually watch. So, you know, I will watch a squid game type show and then I'll counter it with a babysitter's club. So there's, there's definitely a duality in the things that I enjoy. And, and I do feel similarly, uh, Denia, but because I grew up in Paris and I really saw, um, American entertainment as the biggest export that we have, the thing that I'm always looking for are ways to make to move the conversation forward. Um, I, I want to look back at my legacy in film eventually, hopefully many years from now, if I'm lucky, they let me keep making things in film and TV and, and, and be able to look back and say, gosh, I think I think I helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I also That's have to awesome. be really passionate about whatever I make because, uh, you know, it takes three to six years to make a movie and, you know, it can take a long time to make a, uh, a show as well. So it's, it's always challenging. You have to really love whatever you're going to be doing. 
Sorry, I just got a dog dropped off on my lap. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Lucy's nursing, and then yeah, just your, your dachshund comes into the corner of the screen and says, like, <laughs> he needs to be taken care of immediately as well. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> kind of flew into the side. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we ask all of our guests about their history with the BSC. You've already started talking about it a little bit. So I think Naya, you said you were seven, and your first book was Christy and the Snobs. Yeah, my first book was Christy and the Snobs. I so distinctly remember that pink cover and Christy sitting there in a turtleneck with her arms folded and Shannon Kilborn uh, and Louie. But I think the thing that really grabbed me from the start, and I talk about this a little bit in Suding's amazing documentary, The Claudia Kishi Club, was just even though Christy was the protagonist of that book, there was this amazing, cool, uh, very much aspirational character named Claudia Kishi that was the first time I had ever really seen someone who looked like me depicted in any kind of medium in, in, you know, a cool way that wasn't just like a stereotype or maybe the girl sitting in the background playing the violin. So it was a real revelation for me. And I think from that point on, I was just hooked. I, I read as many as I could. I was constantly in Walden books, just like grabbing another one. And um, that was, that was really the beginning of my love affair with the books and it stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I mean, I had the same connection to Claudia, obviously. Um, I know, like, we loved you in the Claudia Kishi Club. What a great documentary by Suding. It was so much fun. Um, and I know you're also on the board of CAPE, um, the Coalition of Eastern Pacifics and Entertainment. Can you say a little bit more about AAPI representation in the media and, like, how you see it moving forward? I mean, I think... Claudia obviously is an iconic character and the way Mamona portrayed her was so great. Like even in She's some so ways, perfect. even like she like brought out a side of Claudia who I have known for decades into this totally different territory that was like even almost better than what I ever could have expected. But it just showed like a multidimensional Asian girl you know, in in a way that yeah. wasn't forced. It just seemed very natural. And that's, I think, what we all want to see more out there. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I will definitely get to your the meat of your question. But first, I just mm -hmm. have to gush about Mamona for a second. Mm -hmm. When she, when we saw her initial audition tape, I think I burst into tears. Lucy was like, this is our girl. I was like, we're done. Let's stop looking. <laughs> she just was so cool. And I remember the first time she and Shay got together and they were trading shoes and just like became besties in about two seconds flat. We were like, they're so cool. Is it weird to be intimidated by a 13 year old? Like, and, and that's the vibe you want for Claudia. So we, totally. we really got super lucky. Our casting directors, Amber and Danielle really nailed it. Now, um, do you remember yeah. how she did this little like E squeal in her audition and we were like, yeah. oh, my God, absolutely. And she does it a couple times on the show, too. Not never too much, but it was just so perfectly pitched um, and, and bubbly and fun, but cool. And she just she just knew <laughs> we yeah. got so yeah. lucky. Um, but yeah, to, to go back to your original question, I think that, you know, as with so many different communities and issues of diversity and inclusion in film and television, there's still so far to go. But I think characters like Claudia, characters like Gemma Chan's character in The Eternals, 
um, movies like Crazy Rich Asians, like it's it's all different aspects of the same conversation, which is we need to be seeing multiple varied characters. We need the cool girl and we need the, you know, introspective kind of thinker. We need the, you know, hero and we need the villain. And until we have those really for every community, I think that um, we still have places to go and, and work to do. But I'm just so proud of what we've done with Babysitter's Club. I was telling someone yesterday how I remember the first time I saw the um, the shot of all the shoes sitting next to the Kishi's front door. I again burst into tears. So I guess <laughs> as me, I'm I'm a little like you, and that I apparently am crying at everything. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we we uh, cried at so that important. too. Just even seeing it in the trailer, I think that even in the teaser trailer, I think you could see their feet in the bedroom and could see that they weren't wearing shoes. And we were like, oh, they're finally taking their shoes off in the Kishi's house, which they would have been doing in the '80s too. People like obviously, so yeah. absolutely. I mean, and you have to in order to be it, you have to see it. So for us in a lot of ways. And I think we tackle a lot of topics like that um, throughout the show, including trans rights and chronic illness. Um, So those are all things that I think we're really, really proud of. Yeah. I remember um, back in the day in the nineties when Lucy Liu was on Ally McBeal and, you know, she was probably the only, I don't know, one of maybe few Asian characters on TV. And I was at the mall and I was like in J Crew or something. This is like when I was in high school. And one of the people who worked at J Crew came up to me and was like, Oh my God, can I you look exactly Stop like it. that person from <laughs> Ally McGill? And I was like, What? I'm like, well, that's a compliment. But like just because this person had only seen one Asian person on TV and saw like another Asian person come into their store, I feel like they just made this weird connection of like, oh, you're both Asian. So like you guys look alike. <laughs> But it's yeah. super weird that that happened in Sacramento too, which has a huge yeah. Asian population. I know. Like, my yeah. my brother mm-hmm. lives in Sacramento. They've got some great boba and like a ton of oh, yeah. I mean, all the best Asian restaurants there. So yeah. it's surprising. But it was just um, funny. Like that's even happened to me on the subway in New York because I used to live there and they're like, oh, you look like that. Um, Someone was like, hey, you're that actress, right? And I was like, who? And it was, uh, you know, that person from Bones. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know that it's like her name is like something Conklin. She was like in half. I think she was like half Asian. But I was also like it was so embarrassing because it was like crowded. And I was like, no, that's that's not me. (laughs) I know. I mean, well, the funny thing is, like when you were playing Babysitter's Club, everybody wanted to be Claudia. Right. Mm -hmm. So like. For once, it was a good thing yeah. to have that yeah. one character. Then I'll pull my Asian card out. I'm like, yep, yeah. that's me. I'm Claudia. <laughs> yeah, Anne always got to be Claudia. When we played with our with our group of friends when we were kids, Anne was, was Claudia, not just because she was Asian. She was also super creative and didn't love school and like had a genius older sibling. There's a lot of reasons that Anne was Claudia. But then the rest of us weirdly fought over Marianne, I think, because we all didn't want it. Like, I'm like very clearly a Christie, but like was still in denial about it in fourth grade. And so... I think it took us a while to grow into our different That's so places. funny. I feel like Christy, all of us kind of doing all of these kind of, you know, out there things, we all have a little Christy in us, but I think it mm-hmm. took so long for everyone to really be okay with acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like to say I'm, I'm Claudia with a Kishi rising. I mean, Claudia with a Christy rising. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to get stuff done, I think you got to have some Christy in there, but. And uh, our other co-host, Emily, is a Dawn, and she and Anne often joke that the podcast wouldn't happen if I was like, okay, when are we, when are we recording? What are we doing, you guys? Because <laughs> yeah. they would just like 
you know, Emily would eat her carrots and Anne would eat her Snickers and they would just chit chat about the Babysitter's Club, but wouldn't get it recorded. So, <laughs> so uh, Lucy, I have a similar question for you. So I know I've, you know, we read that you, you know, grew up in Paris, but also in other cities. It sounds like you were, you moved around a bit as a, as a kid in London and some other places as well. And I'm wondering what, like, what was your experience of the BSC growing up largely outside of the U.S.? Like, how did that was it sort of your introduction to American culture? Like, how did you first find it? And, and what was your relationship with the books growing up? Okay, great. Uh, well, I grew up as an, as an expat. And so um, anything American was an import for us. And so uh, the books that I received came from my grandmother, who was always really feminist and would um, give me like feminist fairy tales or... Uh, you know, Babysitter's Club books. And my first, I think I got the first pack of four. I got the first four books in a little, mm -hmm. little you know, compilation pack. And I read them so many times. And I, I used to read in the bathtub, so they would get dropped in the water and they got really, they were like huge books. As a result, the pages mm -hmm. got so wrinkly, mm -hmm. read them so many times. And um, so they were really treasures to me because I couldn't get them for a really long time, you couldn't buy them in certainly not in France. And then eventually they, they came out in the UK as well. But the UK kind of translations were kind of annoying. And the covers mm -hmm. weren't as cool. They had this like the covers are terrifying. The covers all look Those like covers. some mid century psychology test. And you're supposed to determine what's happening. And they're very I did disturbing. Not like looking. the weird like brick texture on them. Yeah, I, don't know. They, I wasn't a fan. But uh, and I didn't like it. You know, they translated mom to mom things like that it was not a big deal but they i liked the pastel covers of the originals um me got a baby here she's two months old she's very sweet but not being very good she's doing great we're we're, we're pro baby on this babysitter's club podcast <laughs> was just over to lucy's house babysitting I know I saw on instagram <laughs> oh my god it was the greatest she was so good the at babysitting cutest. i was truly shocked yeah. Um, sorry. Where where were we in the question? Can you repeat it? So you got the you eventually could get them from the UK, but you didn't like the UK translation, so yeah, they were so, just really so precious we, to you. So you because you couldn't go to Walden Books like the rest correct. of us. Correct. Yeah. No, so I go I go to the states every summer to visit my grandparents. My parents are both American, and I, I would just stockpile babysitter club books. And I nice. just I brought so I had so many. I bought so many. I'd basically import them. And I remembered loving the super specials probably the most because I was a really, really fast reader and the super specials would last me just a little bit longer. And so <laughs> I, I would, you know, make sure I always had the new super special every summer and they were incredibly nice. meaningful to me. You know, I, I, I didn't see a lot of stories where girls were in charge and that was uh, very exciting to me. I had a couple of businesses when I was a teenager. <laughs> and so what were your businesses? Um, I I had a party planning business uh, where I would I would plan and execute parties for children and you know basically run a party for like twenty six year olds or whatever uh, and you could that is just so hire me to, <laughs> you could just hire me to show up because you no no one would let me babysit but they would let me kind of organize a party for a bunch of kids I learned how to face paint I learned how to um, you know, come up with all these games. It was effectively a kid kit in a box. Yeah. Uh, for a party. It was really fun. And then I had a um 
I always identified with Stacy the most because I was very boy crazy. I loved fashion. And to me, Stacy's always been um, sort of, along with Christy, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. So mm -hmm. I've, I, I really related to, to Stacy. Uh, I had a fashion, a little fashion business where I would go to the, I would go to the leftover fabric markets in Paris where after the tour shows and you could pick up sort of little bits and bobs that were left over were kind of weird shapes you could make stuff with them and sell them at charity fairs. I mean, you just described like five different potential babysitters club books right there. I feel like. yeah. <laughs> I really, and I wrote to Anne, I wrote to Anne when I was nine and she wrote me back. She's the only author I ever wrote to. And okay, she wrote me now back. I'm pissed because I think both Anne and I wrote to Anne and we did not hear back. So maybe just you had some glitz because you were in Paris. But I don't like, know. <laughs> I, don't know. I saved that That's letter for amazing. so many years. I think it got lost in a move, but it, I treasured oh. it. I treasured yeah. it. I couldn't believe she wrote me back. I was so honored. Yeah. And I told her That's that amazing. she wrote to me when we met her and she was like, oh, you know, we were trying not to fangirl too hard at her. It was impossible. It was really tough. It, it was really impossible. tough. But Naya, aren't you glad I made us take a picture with her? Because that is one of uh, the most yeah. possessions. It, it is the best picture of all time. We and were both yeah. like to trot it out at least once a year. We're so, we're, our grins could not be wider in this photo. And I think you can, if you look really close, you can see the fear in her eyes. Of just like, <laughs> are these people coming back, following me back to my house? Yeah, she made me meet her in a public place. Eat me? No, it's kidding. We had to meet so her wait. in a public place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just good sense, Anna Martin. Like, <laughs> so what? Yeah, what was your meeting? Your meeting with her like? What did you talk about? Like, how did that even the initial conversation go without completely losing our minds? Well, luckily, we brought another colleague of mine who had spent a lot of time working at Scholastic. And so her name's Debbie. She kind of was our buffer to, to keep us on mm -hmm. track and not mm -hmm. totally make us go off the deep end. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that we really hit on that she liked and, and, you know, told us was really important to her was we just saw we were we were women who grew up reading these books, loving these books. And now we're in the position to, you know, do the same thing for a whole new generation of girls. And for her, you know, she was around our age when she wrote the books initially. So to have that moment of seeing two girls that she influenced then mm -hmm. go on to influence other young girls, like I think that really mattered to her and it really hit. And so, you know, when we were quoting things from the book and like knew the exact uh, issue that was uh, Christine, the secret of Susan, all of that kind of like weird fangirly stuff, I think she could kind of take, take that with a grain of salt and realize like we would actually get the job done and, and put out a show she'd be proud of. Do you think that she even realizes her influence? Like how does. big it is? She does. I think yeah. she does. I think she's really humble about it. She's she's mm -hmm. so um she's so smart and kind and really everything that you would hope for her to be. Uh she's like the very best possible English teacher you had in high in in middle school, mm -hmm. you know? She feels like that warmth I think she's a wonderful human being and we're so lucky that she was willing to trust us with these characters. And I think she knows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in a way she's almost taken aback by it sometimes when she came to set, you know, everyone was so excited to meet her and there were everyone from the moms of the girls, to the girls, to like VPs, people were coming up and just, you know, 
telling her how much she meant to their childhood. And it was really lovely to see her have that moment and shine and kind of, you know, get the glam done for what became the People magazine pictures. And it was it was just great. I'm just super happy that she, you know, continues to get all of the acclaim and credit that she deserves. Well, I'm glad it was you two going to close the deal instead of me and Anne, because I would have just openly wept and Anne would have <laughs> stuttered and it would have been a problem. <laughs> this is true. So let's talk a little bit more about the show. So you mentioned some of it already, but how much of the time were the two of you on set? Um, and and what's something we might not know about life on the set producing an amazing show like this? Well, we were both on set for some of prep and basically the first two episodes. And then Naya, I think you had something else shooting there. So you were you were back and forth yeah, a little bit. But I really was shooting I was gonna say I was shooting Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, which also similar name. The showrunner for a show obviously was Rachel Shuker and the director for our movie was Rachel Ta- Rachel Talalay. So there was mass confusion everywhere in Vancouver during that time <laughs> on what movie people or what show people were on. Um, but I was back and forth and mostly in Vancouver between the two shows for um, essentially the full run. They actually started on the same day and then ended slightly different, but it was, it was just a wild two months of my life, just yeah. not knowing where I was going every day. <laughs> I, I think something that was really valuable to see was, you know, when you're working with kids, you have to be so careful. You don't have as much time. And, you know, most shows featuring kids are shot on sets so that it's really easy to just, um, you know, turn around and, and, you know, you don't have to move locations very much, but with the BSC, we really cared about making it look as real as possible. And so we were on location for almost every, uh, almost every episode. Um, and that is a lot harder to shoot. So it was always a mad dash to get in your, uh, I think eight hours, um, of shooting in a day that you're allowed to shoot with children. Um, that was, <laughs> was an exciting time. Yeah. It was a lot, you have to be really efficient but the girls were incredible yeah there were different there's different timings for everyone too so you know if you're under a certain age you we call it pumpkining so you pumpkin out a little earlier than say one of the girls who's a little older so there's Mm -hmm. constant juggling and then for season two you also had to factor in covid so season two lucy and i and the other eps weren't even really able to be on set it was just rachel and another writer slash EP who were overseeing things. And so it was really bittersweet because we didn't get to spend the quality time we had with the whole team we did the first season. But we uh, we watched on, you know, technology is great. We watched over live stream. We were giving notes to Rachel, who then would give notes over this kind of like giant God box to everybody. And it was, it, we made it work. <laughs> but it's more fun to be in person. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. As as with everything, right? We've learned that well over mm-hmm. these past few years. So like the notes you're giving, like what kind of notes would those be? I'm trying to think of specific notes that we gave. I mean, it's often, you know, verisimilitude things. We want to make sure that, you know, X matches with Y. Sometimes we're we're making sure that performances are coming across in a certain way and that note will go to to Rachel to give to the director. Um, you know, we want to make sure that that nothing is misconstrued. Did you have, I know that you guys weren't writers on the show, but did you have a lot of input into the storylines or kind of like the way the character should be played or anything like that? Just especially being such fans of the book. So the way it worked was um, Rachel 
pitched out to us when she was getting the job, pitched out to us sort of her macro theory of, of the Babysitter's Club and kind of how it would work in a modern day setting and how it could be updated. And her one of her theories was just that you could pretty much take the first 10 books, which are effectively canon, um, and have an arc of their own and uh, and do them mostly as written with small updates here and there. And so we were really let, letting that happen naturally. And we saw, you know, every outline and every script um, draft, and we would give notes on those as they came in. Um, but we, we knew we were in such good hands with her. And of course, we wanted to make sure that Anne uh, got a chance to look at them. So she was able to give notes. On them. So, you know, I think it's, it's always a collaborative process making anything in, in entertainment. Um, but we were so very much all on the same page that we were incredibly fortunate. What um, do you, do you each have a favorite episode? I know that's probably, you have to oh love all God. of your children. Equally, so how do you even, Oh dear I'm, Lord. Oh, I don't, um, ooh. It's okay if you don't. Oh, but I, think, I, well, yeah, it's, it's so tough. I mean, for me, I, I really, there's, you know, there's the ones that are like hilarious and funny and you really love because it's all of the girls kind of interacting at their best. Um, like I think Marianne and the Great Romance is. I was so going to say that one. <laughs> I love that. Really good. That is really yeah. one of my favorites. But then there's the ones that are just so personal and important. Like I think Christy and the Baby Parade and Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, which I I still like. I mean, I've watched it so many times, but I haven't watched it on Netflix yet because I I, I know can't I get can't there. do it yet. I know. <laughs> I mean, Momo Me, made us cry yeah. in the table read for that. I mean, yeah. it was wild. Um, over zoom over zoom <laughs> it was crazy um same i think for me i love mary and I, the great romance when we read that script it was right after the first season had just aired and so we were reading scripts and it was like we couldn't get enough we were, i felt so lucky that we could keep reading the stories uh and i read that that scene between marianne and richard and uh where, where he's you know get gets out his little note cards spoiler alert and been preparing for this moment for so long and I just could not wait to see the two of them do that I had oh my I god just could not wait and they are incredible um so as I, a psychologist that's one of the places where I cried the hardest oh. this season just for you to know like oh, I probably cried so much yeah I probably cried more for that scene than for even for sad goodbye because oh it was just god. so like I'm choking up talking about it like it was so perfectly done and so and most um so, you know, we talk about representation and entertainment. Most psychology and entertainment is like hot, wet garbage. Like it's really poorly done and it's all like not scientific and terrible and harmful how um, mental health is portrayed in a lot of places. And so um, every little hint of it in this season, and there was more of it this season than yeah. in the last season, even where I forget which episode it is, um, but where Stacy says, or, or real therapy um, you know, to <laughs> in an interaction, I, I just there were a few different. Um, That's in sad goodbye. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there were a few different places where I was like, oh, this is perfect. So very good. What about you, Anne? Did you have a favorite? It's the same same thing where it's like the emotional pull versus like what you know was just so fun and funny to watch. I mean, I I did like. Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, just because it's, it hits so close to me because I had a grandmother and she passed away. And I think 
the way that I don't know if this was intentional, but the way the Kishi is kind of handled all of that, like reminded me of my own family and of how maybe an Asian family might deal with a death in the family. Um, yeah. You know, there is the stereotype, um, especially of older generations. My parents are, are much older. They're in their eighties. So and Mimi's age. Yeah. Yeah. They're Mimi's age. So like, you know, like they're a little bit more traditional. They don't, show a lot of emotion um and i know like as a as a kid when certain family members would pass away it was very much like no no crying pretty much so i think the way claudia reacted in this situation of not knowing what to do with these very strong emotions and kind of running away from them and trying to distract herself and ignoring it as best as she could was very realistic for me and i really appreciated how that was portrayed um and i don't think it was it wasn't that could have been it, that just doesn't happen to asian families it happens to all sorts of families but i think there was a nice cultural sensitivity there that kind of mm-hmm. nodded to it without being super explicit or make it in, making it into like a thing you know i think sometimes the specific is really universal and so mm-hmm. you know while i think we leaned really into you know personal experience and you know Lucy's family her her husband was actually super helpful in mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. guiding us on that episode as a Japanese American um, and she can speak to that but you know for me personally um, my grandmother passed away right before season one started so literally I was two days late to the start of the season because I had to attend her boyin which is what we Buddhists call their funerals and um, it was it was just so important to me that that this was done right and it felt authentic and I think you know I speak for everybody when I say that we're just we're happy that it it turned out the way it did and even Momo's mom got involved you know for Claudia and Mean Janine there's a scene where Mimi's in the hospital and there are mums behind her and uh Momo's mom came like running up to me and was like we have to move the mums and I was like why and she was like in Japan, they're they're only used during death, and we were like, nope, nope, nope. That's next <laughs> season. Get rid of the moms. <laughs> yeah, like how like um you mentioned Coden, you know, and I was like, oh, they even did that. Like that was like really nice. Yeah, that was a tip from my um from my in laws um mm-hmm. who are Japanese American, fourth fourth generation, uh, but they were really helpful in reading the drafts and speaking to the writers' room and. Mm-hmm sort of being generally available whenever there were questions. Very yeah. helpful. Well, it totally makes sense that you guys drew upon those connections because it really, it really showed. Well, we can get out of the sad stuff for a second. Um, <laughs> we were wondering if you were able to do future books as episodes, which ones would you want to see? I want all the super special. Budget is no. Yeah. I want, yeah, I want the specials. Disneyland super special. I want like... I want them cast to cast away. To, to oh my god! Yes. Like this is an this is an island. This is a super special four island adventure stand yes. podcast. It's, we it's are obsessed. honestly we just want to be on location somewhere. Fine, yeah. Vancouver is beautiful, but like yeah. Hawaii, New York, all of the above. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. That yes, one that's an absolute favorite of all of us. And we have to do a Mallory episode. You know, if we get if we're lucky enough to get yes, a season you do. Three. That's the only um, complaint we have. <laughs> How great <laughs> is Vivian? I just, she's so good. She's another she one who we saw the audition for, and I was I, I was going back through my emails 
just to see because I remembered that I had like really stumped for Vivian. Not that anyone was fighting me on this, but I was like, yeah. we we really we really need to because you know she was only in in a couple of episodes for the last season, and I we didn't have to cast them right away. But I and I was so worried she was going to get another job and come unavailable to us. And I f- went back through my emails and found so many emails where I was like, well, but also Vivian, and can we please just you know let's make sure that we check in on Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> that was I very just, smart i really yeah. i was her little moment with the drill um in this season is <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite gifts to use i just yeah. am such a fan so we, we have to have a good mallory episode but i don't know which one we would do hello mallory is not my favorite book we'd have to come up with a so we yeah. kind of covered some of poor mallory in this a season. little bit of it yeah yeah, we were sort of thinking, one. yeah, when we were making predictions, we thought you might do poor Mallory because it's certainly relevant to, to, you know, all the income inequality problems that it sort of glances on in 1989 or 90 are, mm-hmm. you know, significantly more relevant now. But I think there's a lot of good Mallory books. I remember liking Mallory Hates Boy Then Jim. Ah, that is my older well, daughter's favorite book because she also, Keely also one. hates boys and Jim. Um, and <laughs> loves that one. So she would be very excited if that's what the direction you go. Yeah. It could be difficult to do, but her horse book is great too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we are all about Island Adventure because yeah. <laughs> dude, this talk what that is like that the is. craziest shit. It's like such a ride. <laughs> like I mean, they jumped the shark way before like Riverdale or any of the others, <laughs> yeah. you know? It was like we're just going to strand them on a deserted island with like 17,000 children. This is going to totally work out fine. <laughs> oh, um, well, I mean, you've spoken a little bit about this in terms of finding Momo and finding um, Vivian, but it seems like such a daunting task to find these girls to play like these girls that we all have ideas about in our heads. And so um, obviously you have a great team of casting directors, but it sounds like you both were also involved in that process and like how did you how do you even start something like that i think we saw every single b-team girl in the u.s and canada is the answer to that like i <laughs> i would think you would have that to. and babysitter's guide i i know every single one of them <laughs> uh yeah it was a lot of you know we had a lot of self-tapes we had a lot of tapes coming in um our casting directors really did a great job of weeding them weeding people down but it was super tough because, you know, you you don't know, you have this idea in your head of what all these girls should be, but then to find the real flesh and blood version is sometimes so daunting in some ways because you have to kind of, they're, they're the very obvious things like, yes, it'd be great if Mallory has red hair or obviously we're going to look for a Japanese, uh, Japanese American, Japanese Canadian girl to play Claudia, but like what you know, what is going to be our perfect Christy? Who's going to be our perfect Stacy? Like all of those kind of thoughts came into play. And um, honestly, it was one of my favorite parts of the whole experience was just finding those perfect girls because they, they really are. And when we got to actually tell them in person all together in a room, it was like one of the best moments of my life. Um, you never I have not have a child that. yet, but so I think exciting. it'll be on par with that. <gasps> yeah. yeah, it was really exciting. You can um, everybody watching cried. the video. You can feel <laughs> the excitement. I mean, it's very, very obvious. We were we extremely had a- lucky in that both Danielle and Amber are, are huge Babysitters Club fans. So, and because the characters are so beautifully drawn by Anne, uh, mm-hmm. everyone knows what you're looking. You know, you know what you're looking for. 
And a lot of the parents of the girls were fans as well. Yeah, that's really awesome. We, we got a question, a great question from one of our patrons about how you sort of decided, you know, which white girls to make non-white girls um, and how you, you know, dealt with, we know there has been some unfortunate internet backlash about people being confused about Dawn not having blonde, blonde, mm. blonde hair um, and like, why is Marianne mixed now and those kinds of things. And so just curious of sort of, you know, glad you made those decisions and think they were genius decisions, um, how you kind of, you all decided as a team to do that and how you've have sort of dealt with the unfortunate, frankly, racist backlash and um, sort of protected the girls from, from dealing with it as much as you could. Blonde is not a characteristic. Blonde is not mm -hmm. a characteristic. Let's just repeat <laughs> no, that. No, turns out. I was blonde at one point. It was bad. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a character trait, being blonde. Sorry, mm -hmm. Facebook. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we all kind of as a group agreed that there had to be some changes. I think Anne did such a good, a good job in the time um, trying to make these girls as diverse as possible for that time period. But, you know, the fact of the matter is when you think about what constitutes a California girl these days, mm -hmm. it, a lot of times is a Latina uh, next type girl. Um, and so that felt really organic to us. And we also really love the idea that, you know, maybe one of the reasons um, story-wise that Marianne's father is so protective is because he was in a uh, biracial or multiracial relationship and just wants to make sure he's doing right by his daughter. And so those were two really organic places to go. And luckily when we pitched Anne on those, she was totally on board and super excited and you know, really had no doubt in that plan. And then, you know, going forward, it was all just really in service of the story and making sure we were doing the best version of that we could. But yeah, the the online stuff was really unfortunate. Um, I think the girls weathered it the best they could, but I know it was really, you know, it was really hard for them, I think, to especially Zochi and for season one to have to deal with all of that. So it was, that was a bummer, but I think the good of it came um, and, and really outweighed the bad people really responded in, in a great oh, way. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the adults on the show, which we're also obsessed with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're okay. Love, love, love Mark Evan Jackson. First of all, he is a genius. So was he and also Alicia Silverstone people you had in mind when you kind of started to think of casting? Alicia was always a dream. We were mm -hmm. all huge fans of Clueless as well. And we just really hoped that it would work out. She was you know, the first name that we always mentioned. And we were so lucky to have her join the show. And I think beyond that, we really wanted to make sure that the adults uh, were cool and that they were interesting to us who had grown up with the books and were now, you know, a little self-conscious about watching a show about 12-year-old girls. <laughs> <laughs> You want to make it just easy for everyone. And and frankly, I think that, you know, movies like Harry Potter that have such strong character actors in every single role um, are very, very inspirational, um, as is. What's that show that Rachel always mentions, uh, Naya, from the, from the 90s? Um, the Nickelodeon show that had like Iggy Pop in it. Oh, Pete and Pete. Pete and mm. Pete. That's the other yeah. one that used to come up a lot nice. as a reference for, you know, how to cast the adults. We awesome. just wanted to we, get really we, excellent people. And we did. They're all amazing. 
We got super lucky. I mean, at the same time, though, there were so many people that, you know, because we were shooting in Canada and because of timing and then season two because of COVID again, um, that we couldn't actually have joined. But like, you know, the the dream is like one day if we can somehow, you know, same season we're doing all the super specials, if we can then get like Stephanie Beatrice and Busy Phillips and Natalie Portman and all the other people that have been like, we want to do something. Eva Chen. Amazing. All the cameos. We'll take you it. guys, the Babysitters Club, <laughs> Club guys. They yeah. pitched us too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, thing I like about all the adults in this show is that when you're reading the books, they're kind of there. But like we've often talked about on many episodes, like what what's going on with the parents really? Like what's up with the Pikes? What's going on with Watson? Like we still really want to know what Watson does, how he got his millions of dollars. Like, how did that happen? Money. We think it's family money. Yeah, that's that's made clear by you guys on the show. We think he has a toaster of an empire. That's what we've come to so far. <laughs> well, <laughs> not toaster strudel. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I think in one book, Christy talks about how, like, they're using, like, four toasters in one scene at, yeah. at Watson's house. At Watson's house. And, it's like a, a marker of how rich he is that he has four toasters. And I was like, toasters. wait a second. Like, he has four what? toasters? <laughs> so oh, we have this whole, God. yeah. That's really so funny. Yeah. We think he's so, the CEO of Sunbeam. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we think. <laughs> maybe, maybe chairman of the board though, because he yeah. doesn't work all that much. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 But he does take a break in his Mr. Mom book though. Yeah. Cool. He does. Yeah, there's that. I actually just want to know how Mrs. Pike managed to have that many children. This is the reason I'm, we have oh this gosh. podcast, Naya. Hard I'm not kidding. It is. I called Hard Anne gosh. and Emily during the pandemic and I'm like, can we just talk about for a second? Can we talk about when the, the triplets Pike's family planning were newborns <laughs> and then Mrs. Pike got pregnant again when she had a one-year-old and three newborn babies so that she could have Vanessa one year later? Can we just talk about this? I don't understand what the happened. Poor woman. Yeah, it's crazy. It's not okay. It's just not okay. <laughs> no. She needed to watch Unpregnant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Damn. Very clear instructions. Yeah. This is the one question Esme says she would ask Anne if she ever met her. Yeah. If I only got to ask Anne and Martin one question, it's like, what is going on with the Pikes? That's, that's, that's a, a great, great question. question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's go to the fun stuff. So. Okay. Okay, I gotta ask, what are your true feelings about Logan? Book series Logan, not not yeah. show Logan. Book Logan, not adorable Logan that you created in the TV universe. Book Logan. Uh, you know, I think... <laughs> there it I is. I think she can do better. I think bo- book yeah. Logan, I think Marianne can do better. Mm-hmm. No, we all had that first crush, and he works for that. And then mm-hmm. she's going to go to college and, you know, meet. Or, or, you know, in her 20s. High school. She's going to go to yeah. high school and meet somebody. <laughs> that first. <laughs> Let's be real. But Logan Bruno, I don't think, is her her end goal. I don't think he's the one at the end of the altar. He's very nice. Yeah. Yes. Especially on the show. He's such a dreamboat. Yeah. Oh, on the show, he's wonderful. You fixed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all Rachel. <sighs> yeah. Like when you're reading the books as a 10-year-old, you're like, oh, Logan, he seems so nice. And then, like, as an adult, you're like, what the fuck? He's a controlling like, monster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very controlling. I mean, I think that that accent only only helps so much, you know? <laughs> that that Kentucky draw hides a lot. 
but that's what a lot of those boyfriend characters were like in the in yep. literature. Of the oh time. my god! Even in like Gilmore Girls, it's a very similar. Oh, character. totally. I I always think of Troy from Reality Bites, like <laughs> oh, oh, Troy Dyer. The worst. Yeah. The totally. worst. Well, as a teen, you're like, oh, he's really cute. And as as you get older, you're like, man, what a horrible no. boyfriend he would be. Yeah. No. I just remember screaming, like, why just stick with Ben Stiller? Like, why are yeah. you not just sticking with Ben Stiller? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Esme, would you like to get to the quiz portion? Sure. So we oh. thought it would be fun to ask you all some BSC trivia questions. So I have cards here oh, from geez. the board game. Um, oh so we can see and uh, you can compete against each other if you want. And maybe you can keep score. Who buzzes in? Um, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start with an easy one. I'll give you a, a softball. Um, what is the pink clinker? <laughs> oh, I wait, don't remember. Gonna... No. Okay. I think we both have mommy brain right now. I'm yeah, that's, it's, that. I, yeah, that's your <laughs> handicap. That's your handicap. Uh, we first learn there about the pink clinker in uh, book six, Christie's Big Day. Is it? Charlie's I think it's car? somebody's car. Oh, the junk bucket <laughs> is Charlie's car. You're right that it is a car. Oh. So it's Why Nanny's car. Grandmother's it's car. Christy's grandmother, yes. Nanny. Oh. It's her car that's bright pink. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Pink, that's right. Karen talks the about pink clinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. In book 17, Marianne's bad luck mystery. What makes her bad luck start? I can give you a multiple choice. Do you want a multiple choice? Give us multiple choice. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing. Did she walk <laughs> under a ladder? Did she break a chain letter? Or did she see a black cat cross her path? She broke a chain letter. Yes. Good job. Mm -hmm. Good job. Okay. What is a puddle walk? Splashing through the puddles, walking in the rain. Yeah. It's a very good thing to do when you're babysitting. Dawn teaches us Mm -hmm. that in Dawn and the Impossible 3. All right. How did Claudia break her leg in Claudia and the Bad Joke? She fall off a ladder? Close. It's not a ladder. Did Dowski do something to her? I feel like it was a prank. It's more sinister, actually. Yeah. Oh. It is a prank, but don't blame Jackie. Don't blame Jackie. It wasn't Jackie. No. Hmm. There's no multiple choice on this one? No, there's not. It's a new babysitting charge that comes up in that book and then doesn't come up again for a while. We haven't met her again. Betsy Soback, who's obsessed with practical jokes, and she rigs the swing in her front yard. Oh, that's right. And Claudia's swinging, and then she falls and breaks her leg. That is dastardly. I had a friend do that with a hammock. (laughs) Yeah, that's yes. really bad. It's really bad. What did the Babysitter's Club members ask Mallory to draw for her Babysitter's Club test in Hello, Mallory? Like the anatomy of a human body or something. I think it's the like digestion that. system. That's yeah. exactly right, Lucy. Good job. <laughs> Naya gave you an assist there, but that is correct, which I, Claudia I refers this... to as the digestive system. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I think we're just working together to make sure yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it's also collaborative. how it works. This is how we always work together. <laughs> yeah. Very, very complimentary. Okay. Describe any one of the three burglar alarms that Marianne built in Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, my books are behind me. Can I go get yeah. them? And, <laughs> and cheat? Like there's I, a I can remember, system. Yeah, I remember like Close. a tripwire. You guys of some made it kind. a can in the show, but oh, what'd you say, Lucy? Isn't there a tripwire of some kind? And what does it do when it goes off? Um, it rings a bell. Oh, close, no. but no cigar. <laughs> We're this failing this. This is terrible. It it hits and turns on Charlie's tape deck, which blasts a song called Poundin' Down the Walls by the Slime Kings. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and Anne is, Anne so is such specific. a genius. She's, She's such a, a genius. genius. She is a genius. Okay. 
Fantastic. Okay, last question. What was the name of the rival club that Mallory and Jesse started in Hello, Mallory? We no, it's not. We love kids. No, that's the Dawn one. No, that's no, the other one. That's, yeah. Cal- that's the cool that's one California. in California. Laid back. Yeah. This book's got a little racy. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> a hint is that it's that. also the name of an educational show for kids from the eighties. <laughs> Reading Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> kids incorporated oh my god oh, that's yeah. right. Right. oh my gosh you guys did great that was no, fabulous you guys failed great. all of the questions <laughs> mortifying wait is this from the actual game i feel like i played that game we played yep. that game oh yeah it is um we played that mm-hmm. game at canadian thanksgiving and i feel like i did much better back then well yeah. we were more in it at the time we've like just gone yeah. through it and now we're out the other side and yeah we've like we've yeah. relaxed our our brains too much on baby totally yeah. there's yeah. only so much we can fit in here yeah, yeah. i mean you're about to have a baby you have a two-month-old yeah, yeah. i think you're good you're yeah. guys, you guys did great Oh, look at that. Holding her up for evidence. Yeah, so cute. cute. (laughs) Okay, were there any other things you wanted to touch on us before we wrap this up? Um, No, I mean, we had other questions, but we have taken enough of these lovely people's time. Is there anything that we didn't ask you about that you would like to talk about? Any questions for us? Do you need... Do you have any any... therapy questions for Esme? Or early odds teen magazine <laughs> editor questions. Well, actually, I have a question. I have a therapy question. Are there any? Are there any? Um, are there any trends in child psychology that you see nowadays that you think we should try to address on the show if we're lucky enough to get a third season? Ooh, that's a good question. Or like big issues that you see kids coming in with? Yeah, I mean, the challenge as someone who works mostly with self harm and suicide, my oh. challenge is that that's a really contagious yeah. thing that you don't actually. Yeah. You know, if I could erase one show from the world, it would be 13 Reasons Why, because they didn't do it responsibly at the beginning. Um, so that's a hard thing to to show effectively because it can be so triggering because contagion effects are so real. And teens and young kids especially are really susceptible to contagion effects. So I actually love what you did this season, just to give me one more chance to compliment you guys. I think there's like a clear thread through with mindfulness. And again, that scene with Richard in the cards, like... That's a real thing that we want families to do and practice and, you know, plan ahead for challenging conversations. Um, So I think just I would say normalizing big emotions more broadly. I think that, you know, emotion regulation is a skill that everybody needs. And again, that's part of why I love the series so much. I think you emphasize that you know, in the first season in Dawn and the Impossible 3 with the, the Christy and Dawn tantrum subplot. Um, and I think that you did it with Dawn again this season with um, mm-hmm. Richard's feedback to her that Kendra did such a beautiful job portraying. And so I think that, you know, my my soapbox with adolescent psychology is that we have this cultural trope that all teenagers are crazy um, and that they're all suffering and they're all suicidal and they're all angsty. And then somehow they become adults and we pretend everything's fine again. And the truth is that the vast majority of teens, as you know, from working with a bunch of them are like good, kind-hearted people who are like, you know, hanging out with their friends and working in the in the world and may have some big emotions, but that that's not the same thing as a mental health diagnosis. Um, and so I think just normalizing all of those things, continuing to do what you're doing, that like big emotions are real and are important and are worthy of, you know, exploring and noticing and also 
can be handled and can be helped with your friends and with the trusted adults in your lives. So I think that that's the, I think that kids who have sort of a clinical problem managing their emotions can also benefit from that message in the same way that a kid who maybe doesn't have, you know, a, a dangerous challenge with that, but who is confused sometimes about what to do with their emotions can also take a lot from it. That's beautifully said. Thank you for elaborating. No problem. Thanks She's for good asking. at that. <laughs> and can I ask you really quickly, mm-hmm. um, what did you think of Claudia's progression in, in terms of her clothing as a former magazine editor mm. this season? Did you, did you see, we were really trying to go for the fact that she was digging into her cultural heritage a little bit more, but yeah. is that apparent? Did that come through? I think it um, definitely did. I think that it's so great that, I mean, dude, these kids are so much taller than me. It's like ridiculous. Like, their clothes were so good. Their clothes are so good. Like I would, I was like, I, I would wear that, but I'm in my forties. So probably not the best idea. But yeah, I think like Claudia seemed to be, she seemed like her dressing was a little bit more mature this year. Or like, I felt like she had more a handle on like what her personal style was. And she was trying to like define it a little bit more and coming more into herself. I don't know if she did this in season one, but I noticed she was wearing a lot of like art shirts, like with artists on them and stuff, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, kind of saying, I like these artists, I identify as an artist. And I think that, again, being someone coming from a, a quieter, obviously, culture, it's so, it's, I think it's still very important to see Asian, Asian girls or boys express themselves like that. Because even though we are in 2021 and things are so much different that I think, you know, people, you still have the tendency to want to be small, Um, Mm -hmm. whether just being young, you want, you just kind of want to shrink. Right. Um, And all of the characters are, you know, but they're not loud either. So what I'm trying to say, like, you don't have to be either. You can just be yourself. And I think that is the biggest the biggest message here but yes claudia could have her own editorial in any magazine like i i it's i actually was thinking about how like when so when i was um an editor like the oc was really big and like all those like so like i like interviewed the entire cast of like the oc like adam brody and all those people and we would do all these like fashion shoots with them and i was like oh my god i wish teen magazines were still a thing right now because all these girls would be in the magazine with like a super cool fashion spread. <laughs> what do you think of Shay's, uh, or actually I should say Sophie's, uh, I mean, not Sophie's, Stacy's uh, magazine cover that we mocked up. <laughs> oh my God, so good. So yeah, good. Physical IRL magazine. <laughs> yeah, I, we love that. We talked about it in the episode about how we loved that that was like, she was on the cover. She was saying this gala and how I felt like it was much more like, I think Emily was saying how it showed like, kind of how she was like high society kind of and like sophisticated <laughs> we're like oh like we're like yeah. stacy's being sophisticated <laughs> yeah it's fantastic as me actually keeps track of every adjective that is used for all the babysitters well not every single one the, but not the, every the single consistent one. ones yeah so we have tallies across the books with like how many times stacy's called sophisticated and how many times claudia's called exotic um, and how many times Chrissy's yeah. called bossy, how many times Marianne's called shy and sensitive, those kinds of things. So um, we're hoping. We're what in- did they call Dawn the most? Because Dawn was the most kind of. Loves food. health food. 
um, and oh, individual. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so Emily's not here, but Emily- I think sometimes she also yeah. gets cold. Yeah. Maybe that comes later. As of 1991, it's just individual. It's to- Emily's introduction is I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I love health food. So like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So individual is what gets used for Dawn over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. We can talk to you all forever and we have to let you go live your lives, but thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Before we do, can you tell us, you know, things you're working on and things you're looking forward to, um, how our listeners can follow you on social media? What should, what should they be looking out for? I am, uh, on Instagram as Lucy Katata and, (laughs) (laughs) and I I made three movies this year and I posted about them. Come follow me. (laughs) I'm on Instagram as, so my company Walden Media, we did the Chronicles of Narnia back in the day. My full name is Narna. So I'm on Instagram as Chronicles Mm -hmm. of Narna, N-A-R-N-A. Um, and on Twitter as Naya Susikoff, I'm much better on Instagram than on Twitter. I mostly just lurk there and like other people's things. So go to Instagram for that. (laughs) Fantastic. So we close each episode with a pizza toast in homage to all the pizza parties that the BSC has. I know. (laughs) Um, so what shall we pizza toast to? So it it could be be something something very obscure, something it doesn't have to be related to the BSD necessarily. Always being dibbly fresh and getting a season three, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh my God. Season three. I think we should just pizza toast to season three. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're it. already dibbly fresh, obviously. Netflix. Are you listening? Yeah. Are you listening, Netflix? <laughs> okay. Pizza toast to season three. To season three. Woo. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for again for us. coming. Yeah. It's fantastic. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. 